my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 497. Welcome in. This was going to be a massive, massive episode. It felt like, honestly, a lot to record all at once, and so I cut it in half. And I want to be very clear about this. The next episode is going to have NFL quarterback storylines part two. There are 16 more quarterbacks we got to talk about. Um, frankly, I'm really excited to talk about Jared Goff, the Lions quarterback. I know that's weird, uh, but I got to like we got 16 more quarterbacks to talk about. We'll do, we will do that next episode. Uh, today, I wanted to get this out sooner, and I'm still writing those topics. And I'm like, look, you know, college football. I'm recording this very early Thursday morning. It is 3:31 in the morning. Um, yeah, I, it's after work for me. And, uh, (laughs) like, I want to get this out before college football actually starts, and week one technically starts tonight with Pittsburgh playing West Virginia. So here we are, we're talking about current events, some news, college football. Uh, I also want to answer some commonly asked questions. If you read the YouTube comments on recent Strong Opinion Sports episodes, like, the same couple questions keep getting asked over and over and over again. Uh, Like, why are you in the truck? Uh, the honest answer is because I want to be. I like recording in the truck. It's my private space. It feels like I, I really like recording here. And if you don't like it, totally fine. But I'm doing the show from the truck. I really like it. Um, I, I don't know if people are aware of this. I am working a second job. Uh, I'm working as a waiter at a restaurant uh, on the side. I'm stretched really thin right now. I'm tired. I don't want to rush out a bad product. And so, like, pushing back the quarterback storylines part two for the NFL was kind of me caring for myself and making sure that I'm recording good content. Um, I don't really like recording totally exhausted. I did that last episode for 496, and people were literally commenting like, are you drunk? No, dude, I'm exhausted. I'm really tired. I'm, I'm really pushing myself the limits of what I can do as a human. Uh, and it's hard. It's, it's hard to do two jobs at once and have a life. It really is like three jobs between caring for myself, uh, working as a waiter, and making content. Um, and so... Please allow a little more time for NFL quarterback storylines part two. Another commonly asked question is, why are you recording at night? Uh, Another answer to that is, well, I I like recording at night. Uh, But part of why I like recording at night is because uh, it's easier to find an empty parking lot. People don't bother you. I think it looks better. I like the lo-fi kind of orange glow of the nighttime, the low lighting. I really like recording at night. I think it looks awesome. And then what follows that is, why are you wearing sunglasses? Um... Again, not because I'm drunk. I can't believe people thought I was. I mean, again, I was tired, but it, it was kind of insulting. People thought I might be drunk last episode. I would never record an episode of Strong Opinion Sports intoxicated. Um, <laughs> that really, it really kind of bothered me, to be totally honest. Um, I wear sunglasses because the light I used to record is really bright. Uh, and again, I like wearing sunglasses. They're prescription. I like how it looks. I like how it feels. Um, and I, I, at this point in my career... I'm doing what I want to do because I like it and uh, get on board or not. I love you either way. I don't expect you guys to know everything about my life. That's probably the most I want to talk about myself. If you want to hear more about my personal life, go look at my other podcast, Zach Schaumler Talking. It's really good. Let's jump in now to the biggest news story today, in my opinion. We got a couple of cuts I want to talk about, but here is one that I find really, um, how do I even put this? I got a lot to say, and I think it's interesting. 
The Raiders have cut offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood. Here is why this matters. Here is why it's important and it's notable that the Raiders have cut Alex Leatherwood. He was drafted 17th overall last year in 2021. He was a first-round pick just last year. And a year later, didn't even make final cuts. He didn't even make the roster. To be a first-round pick and then a year later not make the team is pretty insane. That almost never happens. Uh, Now, if you look back in time, a lot of people were surprised when the Raiders drafted him 17 overall in the first round. A lot of people said, he might be a second-round pick. He's more like a third-round pick. That feels like a big stretch, and clearly it was. Uh, Now, it didn't work out with Alex Leatherwood in Vegas. He did get claimed off of waivers by the Chicago Bears, so... We'll see how it goes. Some people are calling that move a steal. Uh, The Bears do need help on the offensive line. We will see how Alex Leatherwood does in Chicago. To me, though, here's the story. Since 2019, the Raiders have had six first-round picks. They all have been disappointing. In 2019, the Raiders had three first-round picks. They drafted Cleveland Farrell, a defensive end. They drafted Josh Jacobs, a running back, and Jonathan Abram, a safety. All three of those players have had their fifth-year option declined by the Raiders. Cleveland Farrell is most notable. He's the number four overall pick from 2019. He's not even a starting defender anymore. He's not in your starting lineup, and he was drafted number four overall in 2019, a couple of years ago. That's uh, no shame on Cleveland Farrell, but from a Raiders perspective, that's embarrassing. That's a bad pick. That's a bust. And... Like I said, all three of their 2019 first-round picks for the Raiders had their fifth-year option declined. That's not exactly a sign of a healthy, great draft class. Then both of their 2020 first-round picks, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett, got cut last year. Uh, They had trouble off the field, is a very nice way to put it. They got cut mid-season by the Raiders. That was a big deal. And now their 2021 first-round pick, Alex Leatherwood, has also been cut. That is 0 for 6. The Raiders have gone 0 for their last six first-round picks since 2019. 2019, 2020, and 2021, all six of their first-round picks have now uh, left the team and didn't make it. And those are also, by the way, 2019, 2020, 2021, those are the three years that Mike Mayock was drafting as the Raiders' general manager. It's also notable he was a broadcaster before he got hired by the Raiders to be their general manager. And look, I guess in um, in fairness to him, he did draft Hunter Renfro. He did draft Max Crosby. Uh, I don't want to completely disrespect Mike Mayock. But look, if you throw enough darts at the wall, some of them are going to stick. And the point is that Mike Mayock His first-round draft picks did not work out at all for the Raiders. It's really, really bad. And now the Raiders' new leadership, their head coach, Josh McDaniels, their new general manager, Dave Ziegler, they are dealing with the consequences of the John Gruden and Mike Mayock era of the Raiders. And, uh, wow. It's, I just, they inherited a team that had Derek Carr, an awesome quarterback, good for them. Uh, They inherited a playoff team last year, but... There's a lot of dysfunction going on in Vegas. And the fact that your last six first-round picks all 
have been disappointing. That's actually almost hard to achieve, to be totally honest. Like, that's that's a lot of failure. And uh, it's embarrassing. It's bad. I don't mean to hate on Mike Mayock, but he created a problem there. Imagine if they'd gone six for six. Imagine if all six of those first-round picks had been incredible. You traded away Khalil Mack. He got a bunch of draft picks for him. None of them worked out. Now, the Bears didn't exactly win the Khalil Mack trade either because they quickly turned around and traded him to the L.A. Chargers, but... Uh, it's kind of a mess. It's not great. And uh, from the Raiders' perspective, I just feel bad for their fan base, man. The Raiders have been just such a... It's I would imagine being a Raiders fan is kind of just a tumultuous experience where this team hurts you over and over again. It cannot be as bad as being a Seattle Mariners fan. But, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I felt bad for Raiders fans when I saw the news. Hey, remember that guy that drafted in the first round last year? He didn't even make the team. Oh, Raiders fans, I feel so bad for you guys. That's a tough, tough blow. Here's another news story regarding uh, players maybe or maybe not making a team. The uh, Well, not the Raiders. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles have traded former first-round receiver Jalen Rager to Minnesota. Minnesota gets Jalen Rager, uh, and Philly is getting a... 2023 seventh round pick and a 2024 conditional pick that will either be a fourth or a fifth rounder, depending on how well Jalen Rager does in Minnesota. Now, for Philly fans, Jalen Rager's career has been a painful saga. He was drafted uh, number 21 overall in the 2020 NFL draft, one pick before Minnesota drafted receiver Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson has been a star ever since he ended up and landed in the league. Killing it for Minnesota. Jalen Rager, the guy drafted one pick before him in contrast, has been very, very disappointing is a nice way to put it. I don't like using the word bust. You know, I had a conversation with Mike. Uh, what What is the guy's name? Why am I blank? Ryan Leaf one time. Ryan Leaf came on the show uh, and we were talking about how he doesn't like the word bust. And I, I actually kind of agree with him. Bust is a harsh way to put it. But you can say from a fan's perspective, hey, Jalen Rager, disappointing for Philadelphia Eagles fans nonetheless. Now, in two years, Justin Jefferson has 196 catches for 3,016 yards and 17 touchdowns. Justin Jefferson has been incredible. In that same amount of time, Jalen Rager has... A mere 64 catches for 695 yards and only three touchdowns. That's like half a season worth of production for Justin Jefferson. And that's the entire career so far for Jalen Rager. Eagles fans so, so badly wish their team had drafted Justin Jefferson instead of Jalen Rager. And it's funny, uh, after years of being compared to Jalen uh, after years of Jalen Rager, excuse me, being compared to Justin Jefferson, they're now teammates. Kind of weird. A weird coincidence. Uh, and I want to add some insult to injury. Uh, in the 2019 draft, Philly drafted, uh, and I, I am told the pr the proper pronunciation is J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. It is spelled Arcega. Uh, I had a friend who had the last name. His name was Jose Arcega. Uh, but this apparently is Arthega, JJ Arthega Whiteside. Um, I'm told there's a TH sound. I do it the best I can. Anyway, 
In the second round of the draft in 2019, Philly took J.J. Ortega-Whiteside instead of D.K. Metcalf. And a similar thing is played out to the Jalen Rager-Justin Jefferson comparison. D.K. Metcalf became a star, and J.J. has been a disappointment so far during his NFL career. Now, even more harsh than the Jalen Rager story, Philadelphia recently traded J.J. Ortega-Whiteside to Seattle. That made him teammates of the guy he was forever compared to, DK Metcalf. Unfortunately, though, JJ didn't even make the team. He he didn't last long. Seattle cut him. Um, and so Philly fans, man, you've had a rough go of it. JJ Ortega Whiteside didn't work out. Jalen Rager didn't work out. You gotta wonder what would have happened with Carson Wentz if they'd got two great receivers in those draft picks instead of two guys who were disappointing. Now, look, they moved on. But basically, three drafts in a row, Philadelphia has gone and gotten a receiver. They got, uh, in the first round, excuse me, too. They got Jalen Rager in 2020. Didn't really work. They drafted Devontae Smith uh, in 2021. And then this last year in the NFL draft, instead of drafting a receiver, they traded the first round pick to go get A.J. Brown from Tennessee. But that still feels like them getting a receiver in the first round, if you ask me. So... Philly has been desperate for a receiving core. They got two receivers they really like between A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Uh, But man, oh man, can you imagine? And I just, I feel pain for Philly because can you imagine if they had drafted D.K. Metcalf and Justin Jefferson? I don't know that I would have drafted D.K. Remember, I don't want to pretend like I thought D.K. was incredible. I I remember being very skeptical of DK Metcalf at the time of that draft. I had friends who played receiver in college. They were like, look, he's an unfinished product. He can only run a couple routes. Turns out the couple routes he could run, pretty dang good. My friend was basically like, look, DK Metcalf can really only run vertically. So he's a deep threat and that's it. And apparently that's pretty dang good. That's all you really need to do. DK Metcalf running a straight line, run right by people, run great routes. He's getting better too as his career goes on. I can only imagine. If Deacon Metcalf and Justin Jefferson had been drafted by Philadelphia rather than having them get, you know, draft Jalen Rager and JJ Ortega Whiteside. And uh, today, I feel bad for Philadelphia Eagles fans. All right, um, let me drink some water. One more surprising cut happened. <clears throat> the Minnesota Vikings cut quarterback Kellen Mond. He was a third-round pick out of Texas A&M last year in the 2021 NFL Draft. And it's pretty insane to make it one year as an NFL quarterback and then get cut after being a third-round pick. I mean, that's it's pretty rare that you draft a guy in the third round and he doesn't even last more than one year. Now, in fairness, the Vikings do have a new head coach and a new general manager, It's a different regime that did not pick Kellen Mond. And, you know, they seem to also be pretty much all in on their current quarterback, Kirk Cousins. Uh, And and, and funny enough, by the way, Kellen Mond was claimed off of waivers by the Cleveland Browns. And the Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski, in 2019 was actually once the Vikings offensive coordinator. Now, there is no connection directly. I mean, you know. Kevin Stefanski took the job in Cleveland well before Kellen Mond was drafted by the Vikings. Uh, they never did work together in Minnesota. But it is kind of funny that he went from Minnesota to Minnesota's former coach. And I want to make a little bit of fun of myself because I, I really enjoy 
going back and, and revisiting my old takes and was I right? Was I wrong? Kellen Mond is a player that um, <laughs> I, I was very, very wrong about Kellen Mond. Here is what I said when Minnesota drafted Kellen Mond. Take a listen. I am going to predict right now Kellen Mond will become the Minnesota Vikings starting quarterback. I don't know when it's going to happen. It could be two years from now uh, when Kirk Cousins' contract is up. It could be two weeks into the season. It could be uh, five games in. I don't know when it's going to happen. But at some point, Kellen Mond will become the Minnesota Vikings starting quarterback. And I don't mean like Kirk gets hurt and Kellen Mond starts a game. I mean, no, at some point, Kellen Mond is going to become the Minnesota Vikings franchise quarterback and their guy moving forward. So I was monumentally wrong <laughs> about Kellen Mond. I even posted a video called, it was either called Kellen Mond is the Vikings franchise quarterback, or maybe it was Kellen Mond is the Vikings future franchise quarterback, or the other thought it might've been Kellen Mond will be the Vikings franchise quarterback, but that was pretty bullish. Hey, Kellen Mond is going to work. I thought this guy was going to replace Kirk Cousins, to be totally frank. And uh, I, really what somebody needs to do is make a Curb Your Enthusiasm meme with me saying, you know, Kellen Mond is going to be the Vikings franchise quarterback. And then go, and then play like, you know, the show on screen, Kellen Mond cut by Vikings one year after being drafted. Like, someone roast me. I'm begging you. Um, but I like making fun of myself. Uh, I like keeping myself honest and... Uh, my goodness, that was a swing and a miss. I, I really thought Kellen Mond was going to work. He was awesome at Texas A&M. Um, you know, Chris Sims really liked him. And I, usually, I, I, I guess I just, I, I don't know what I thought I saw, but I, I, I really liked what I saw in Kellen Mond, and it didn't work. There was a moment last year where Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, was asked, have you thought about giving Kellen Mond a shot? And he's like, no. Basically just completely shutting that down, not even giving it a second thought. And it makes you wonder, how did Kellen Mond act in the building? Was he not attentive? Was he not catching up? Like, what what was going on? Like, why was something happened in Minnesota and they, they didn't like him? He failed to meet expectations? Something. Like, th there was not a good relationship between the, the Zimmer and Kellen Mond for sure. And the new coaching staff clearly didn't like him either. I don't know if, like, it's not a personal thing, but if they saw a future with him, they would have kept him. They didn't. I don't know if that says more about their commitment to Kirk Cousins or more about the fact that, hey, Kellen Mond wasn't getting it done at an NFL level. I don't know where Kellen Mond is going to turn up next. I guess, again, he got claimed off waivers by Cleveland. Uh, so we'll see. I don't think he's ever going to play for the Browns, really. They've got Jacoby Brissett. They've got... He's their, he's their third quarterback, but, um, man, I, I hope it's not the end for him. I'd like to see him play more. And if he doesn't last long in Cleveland, I'd like to see him maybe, um, play in a developmental league like the USFL or the XFL. Like I, I thought Kellen Mond had some talent coming into the NFL. He needs to work on his carriage of the ball. He holds the ball up too high. He's got to relax his, his shoulder and the, his throwing arm when he holds the ball in the pocket, relax the, the back elbow a little bit. He's really cocked and tight. If he relaxes that and uh, holds the ball in a, in a more neutral position, I think it would really help him. Um, fundamentally, I think Kellen Mond has some problems that make throwing harder for him. Uh, but I, I just, 
it's it's unprecedented to draft a quarterback in the third round. Usually that means, hey, you see some future with the guy. You see some potential. And if nothing else, you hang on to him a little bit longer just because you've got an investment in him. And, man, the Vikings cut bait really fast. They were like, hey, this isn't working. We're done. You're out of here. And they could have kept him on the practice squad. That wasn't even their goal. He got claimed off waivers, but they were like, hey, just so you know, we're going to sign Sean Mannion to our practice squad. We're not even going to keep Kellen Mond, even if he clears waivers. And that's what a statement that is to say, we're not even going to keep you on our practice squad. We don't see any future with you at all. What does that say about Kellen Mond? I have so many questions about how this went down. Oh my gosh. Anyway, uh, unprecedented stuff from the Vikings and uh, their roster cuts, cutting Kellen Mond last year's third round quarterback draft pick. All right. It is time for sports screenshots. It's a segment where I see good stuff on Instagram. I share it here. I only have one thing to talk about today from Instagram. Let me see if I can find it. Um, Former Nevada quarterback Carson Strong got cut by the Philadelphia Eagles. He was an undrafted free agent. He posted this on Instagram. First, I want to say thank you to everyone who works for the Eagles organization. I believe that they have something special happening in Philly. I know I can get better in all phases of my game. I do believe that I can still play ball. Period. That's it. That's a whole statement. And then he posted some highlights from his time uh, in the Philadelphia Eagles training camp. I saw some brutal reports about him. Apparently, the Eagles decided, like, basically, we can't throw the ball at this guy at all. We got to do handoffs all day because we don't trust him. Uh, that's that's what I saw on, like, Eagles fan forums and Twitter and their news websites and yada yada. Um, I feel really strongly for Carson Strong. Uh, I would imagine his NFL career, by the way, pardon the pun there. I would imagine his NFL career is not going the way he planned it to go. He's like, I'm going to make the league. I'm going to show up. I'm going gr- to be great. And uh, it didn't work out. So I'm rooting for the guy heavily. And I just, honestly, if he doesn't find his way onto another NFL team, I would love, love, love to see Carson Strong in the XFL. Go train this offseason. You know, dur- while the NFL season is happening, they're going to have basically that XFL quarterback camp with Jordan Palmer. Carson Strong's got to go work with Jordan Palmer. They already work together, by the way, as far as I know. Uh, he'll go prepare, get ready for his next opportunity in the XFL. And I just, if I could speak to Carson Strong, I would just say, hey man, keep your head up, keep working, get ready and prepare for whatever opportunity comes next. Because I do believe the guy's got some potential there. And certainly at minimum, I could see Carson Strong shredding it in the XFL. I hope to see that happen someday. And uh, I will be following along with this guy because I think he's a prime prime example of a guy who would be such a fun quarterback to watch in the XFL. And I'm really hoping that we get to see him next spring in that league. If not playing for an NFL team somewhere on a practice squad or as a backup somewhere, uh, it's hard to imagine that working out. There's so many quarterbacks out there that are talented and have, you know, people trust them and like them and are in systems already. He got cut as an undrafted free agent. He's going to have to earn his stripes somewhere else. I think that will be in a developmental league. And uh, Carson, keep your head up, keep working, and get ready for whatever opportunity comes next. I think, if nothing else, you can join the XFL, and I would love, love, love to watch that. All right. Um, 
I'm gonna drink some water real quick. I, I'm so excited for this next segment. We have an incredible weekend of college football coming up. College football week one. And yes, it is week one. I know there were games last weekend. That's college football week zero. I don't know why college football starts that early. I guess the answer is because you need some reason to tune into Nebraska and Northwestern. I didn't really watch that game. I know Nebraska lost. That's a hilarious thought. Uh, but truly, this is college football week one happening starting tonight. This is going to come out on Thursday. Uh, there are eight college football games you should pay attention to during college football week one. I call them eight pay attention to games. Number one. Thursday, September 1st, tonight, West Virginia at number 17, Pittsburgh. There are so many storylines regarding this football game. I cannot wait to watch it. Uh, how about this first? It's the two quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis against JT Daniels. Keaton Slovis for Pittsburgh, JT Daniels for West Virginia. They used to play together as teammates in L.A. at USC. J.T. Daniels was the starting quarterback at USC. He got hurt. Keaton Slovis came in and took his spot, basically. Uh, now neither of them are at USC. They're playing each other for different football teams. It's wild. It's fun. I really like it. West Virginia's offensive coordinator, by the way, is Graham Harrell. He also used to be the offensive coordinator at USC. Uh, he coached both Keaton Slovis and J.T. Daniels, and... Uh, now they're starting their first game with new teams against each other. And anytime you get to see a transfer quarterback starting his first game with a new team, that's interesting. Let alone when two guys are doing it against each other and they have all this history against each other. I cannot wait. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. I think both quarterbacks, Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels, have first-round talent at quarterback. And they are trying to prove themselves this year. They're trying to show, hey, we're a guy that should be drafted in the first round. And by the way... West Virginia and Pittsburgh are two teams that have an old rivalry against each other. It's called the Backyard Bowl. Uh, this is the first time these two teams have played each other since 2011. And Pennsylvania and West Virginia as states share a border. In fact, the two schools are about an hour and a half apart from each other. So I'm excited. West Virginia at Pittsburgh should be fun, should be exciting. They're going to throw the ball a ton. It's going to be like... <laughs> one air raid system against another, basically, and they're just going to throw the ball all over the field. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. I cannot wait to watch West Virginia at Pittsburgh. Okay, game number two. Pay attention. Game number two is number 11, Oregon, at number three, Georgia. This is really interesting to me. Now, Georgia should win this game. They just won a national title. Uh, I'm biased, but they're an SEC program. I live in the Northwest. I'm from Oregon. So when I tell you Georgia's going to beat Oregon, you know I'm coming at it with a little more objective. I, I just think, hey, sorry, I live here, but the SEC's got better football. They're going to beat up on the Pac-12 school. Um, they did lose a lot of NFL talent. Georgia did. They lost a bunch of starters on defense. They had this incredible defense last year. They lost a bunch of guys to the NFL. They're not going to be as good as they were last year, but they did reload. And uh, Oregon has a new head coach and a new quarterback. Bo Nix transferred from Auburn. He's already played Georgia three times in his career. He knows Georgia pretty well. They know him pretty well. I'm really excited to watch Bo Nix on his new team. Uh, and I'm curious how bad Oregon's going to lose. Are they going to be obliterated? Or are they going to hold their own and have kind of a fighting chance? Uh, now, it is interesting because Oregon's new head coach, Dan Lanning, 
was Georgia's defensive coordinator last fall. He won a national title with him and then went straight to Oregon. So he's playing his old team. I find that pretty interesting. Uh, what's going to happen between Oregon and Georgia? Oregon at Georgia. That's on Saturday. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be interesting. Game number three. Number 23 ranked Cincinnati at number 19, Arkansas. Cincinnati was great last year, uh, but they lost a bunch of key players to the NFL, including their quarterback, Desmond Ritter. And Arkansas is an SEC program and should win this football game. I would be surprised if Arkansas did not win uh, between Cincinnati and Arkansas. I also got to say, I love Arkansas's quarterback, KJ Jefferson. I'm not sure he's an NFL quarterback. I don't know about his ability to throw the ball. Uh, he's certainly going to throw for a lot of yards this year and be fun and exciting, but I, I don't know. He's on my radar. We'll find out. But KJ Jefferson is really fun to watch. The dude can run like a running back. He can throw. This game has my attention, Cincinnati and Arkansas, but I, I am predicting Arkansas to win this game uh, and maybe even comfortably. Game number four, number seven ranked Utah at Florida. Uh, Florida's quarterback, Anthony Richardson, is interesting. I'm excited to watch him. But what I'm most interested in watching is Utah quarterback Cam Rising. I want to see Cam Rising against an SEC-level defense, more talented players, faster players, a good defense like Florida. Um, I'm sorry, but Florida's defense compared to Colorado or Arizona or Washington State, they don't compare. And I really want to see Cam Rising in a true test of his abilities. Uh, Cam Rising was outstanding last year in the Rose Bowl. Against Ohio State, he was awesome. That caught my attention. I saw some NFL potential, and Cam Rising against Florida. It's a good test to figure out how good he is, and I, I'm really, really excited to watch that matchup. Game number five. And by the way, these games are in no particular order other than, I think, the order of when they happen. Uh, game number five, number five ranked Notre Dame plays at number two, Ohio State. It's a matchup of two Midwest powerhouse programs, both ranked in the top five. That's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. But, you know, the, the other thing I'm excited about is I cannot wait to watch Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud. I'm hoping for a fun and exciting game. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I'm praying for that. I want it to be tense. I want it to be interesting. If this game is close in the fourth quarter, that's all I could possibly ask for. I think Ohio State's going to win. Uh, Notre Dame has a new head coach, and I think their quarterback isn't as good. But I just, all I'm asking for, can Notre Dame please make it interesting in the fourth quarter? If that happens, no matter who wins or loses, I don't really care. I just want this game to be a nail-biter. That would be something that would make me very, very happy. If, the, if this game is actually competitive and close, oh my gosh, I can die happy. Game number six, Texas plays Louisiana Monroe. I am very interested in watching the new quarterback at Texas, Quinn Ewers. He's a transfer from Ohio State. And really, he's going to get one game to get settled in before their second game of the year. Texas's second game of the year is hosting Alabama. So you got to get it figured out week one. You get settled in. You get some confidence. And then, bam, we got a massive test week two. So my eyes are on Quinn Ewers this weekend how is he going to look in his first ever game starting for Texas against Louisiana Monroe? And what will that say about his future? But I hope he gets off to a good start. They steamroll uh, they steamroll Louisiana Monroe, and it helps him get some momentum going into week two. 
I would imagine they're going to lose to Alabama. But I hope that what happens when Texas does eventually play Alabama week two, that Quinn Ewers does well. He's not the reason why they lose. Uh, and, and honestly, even if he does lose his second ever start at Texas to Alabama, you can swallow that. And hopefully you learn from that. It's a growing experience. But uh, keep your eyes firmly trained on Texas this weekend. How does their new starting quarterback do against Louisiana Monroe? His first ever start for Texas. Game number seven. So we've talked about all the stuff Saturday, Thursday. Game number seven is Sunday, September 4th. It is the last Sunday of the year without NFL football. The last Sunday for a long, long time, basically until February. That's not going to have an NFL game. We get Florida State at LSU. LSU has a new coach. Brian Kelly came over from Notre Dame. This is going to be his first ever game with LSU. How is that going to go? And who is going to be LSU's starting quarterback? I expect it to be Jaden Daniels, who transferred in from Arizona State. I guess we're going to find out on game day because uh, Brian Kelly doesn't want to tell anyone. He's just like, I'm holding this close to my vet, close to my chest, and I'm not going to tell you until game day. I think there's some kind of strategic thought there as well. Um, but I don't know. I'm interested. What's going to happen? Brian Kelly's first ever game. Who's the starting quarterback at LSU? And, uh, you know, LSU hosting Florida State. That sounds fun and interesting to me. Plus, again, it's a Sunday game. Not a lot else is going on on that Sunday. There's an F1 race, but most Americans don't watch Formula One. So I think it'll be fun to watch and pay attention to. Then game number eight on Monday, Monday, September 5th. You have number four Clemson at Georgia Tech. And at the time of recording, DJ Ui Unglele is expected to be the starting quarterback for Clemson in this football game. Uh, but it's also expected, I've read, that freshman quarterback Cade Klubnik is going to play this fall. So who really knows what that means? I think what that means is you're going to play DJ for a little bit, like a couple games. When he falters, you put in Cade Klubnik. He'll be the starting quarterback the rest of the year. We'll find out, though. Either way... This game is is an event. It's Monday night. It's Clemson football, an interesting quarterback battle with Cade Klubnik and DJ Uwe Unglele. By the way, Georgia Tech, they're competitive. They're interesting. It's a big-time ACC conference game. I'm excited. I find this game to be interesting and kind of like an event-level game that's going to be hopefully, uh, you know, just a, a big production and fun and exciting and close and interesting and Who is going to be Clemson's quarterback by the end of the game? We'll find out. I really cannot wait. And uh, I'm hoping for an interesting, highly competitive football game that comes down to the wire, as I always do. Uh, But keep your eye on the Clemson quarterbacks this weekend. Those are the eight games that I call pay attention to games. you got to keep them on your radar. And what's really fun about college football week one, you know there's going to be some game that comes out of nowhere that you're like, I cannot believe that happened, or I cannot believe this, or, you know, we'll talk about these eight games come next Tuesday, but what else is going to come out of nowhere? Maybe what games are going to surprise us that we don't expect to be good or interesting or noteworthy? That's something that is fun to keep your eye on this weekend in college football, is what game comes out of nowhere and is better than we think or has an interesting storyline that is unexpected, and uh, we will for sure cover it on Tuesday. All right, uh, let's talk about college quarterbacks. There are 18 college quarterbacks that are on my radar. 18 guys that going into the beginning of this college football season, uh, 
I'm paying attention to as potential NFL quarterbacks and guys I'm curious to watch this year. I am happy for that number to change. For example, um, Arkansas quarterback K.J. Jefferson is not on this list. I'm happy for him to become a guy on my radar. The reality is he's probably number 19. He's right there. But there's a couple of guys like that. I'm happy for feedback. Please write and let me know. Who do you think I'm leaving off this list? Please. I, I like learning new names and I like changing my mind when I learn new information. And so, um, I don't know. Feel free to write in. Let me know your thoughts. But these are the 18 quarterbacks currently on my radar for this year in college football. Number one is USC quarterback Caleb Williams. In my opinion, if you ask me, this guy is the best quarterback in all of college football. It is close between him and Bryce Young. Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, is right up there too. Uh, I think both are potential you know, number one overall draft picks. But Caleb Williams is unreal. He can run. By the way, he can run with power and he can run with speed. He can throw. His arm talent is insane. He's going to make all kinds of crazy throws this year. Uh, he came over from Oklahoma along with the new USC head coach, Lincoln Riley. And, and guys, <laughs> Caleb Williams is going to absolutely annihilate the Pac-12 this fall. And he might win the Heisman Trophy while he does it, by the way. I have high, high expectations for Caleb Williams, and I cannot wait to watch him this fall. Quarterback number two is Bryce Young. I mentioned him. Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama. He won the Heisman Trophy last year. If Caleb Williams is a number one quarterback in college football, then Bryce Young is number one B. He's right there, basically right alongside Caleb Williams. Um, he also, by the way, credit to Bryce Young. Bryce Young is going to play against better defenses, which uh, I think, A, makes him more impressive, but B... By playing in the SEC against better defenses, you're going to be challenged more. And that's better for the development of Bryce Young than it is for Caleb Williams. Uh, I'm really not even sure what else to say. I mean, Bryce Young can do everything. He's great in the pocket. He's great outside of the pocket. He extends plays. He's got a great arm. He's accurate. I love the guy. I, I, I think he's just like the best, if not the second best quarterback in college football. And uh, what's really going to be interesting is, is he going to come out of the NFL draft this year? Like, I think this time, you know, come next spring when the year is over, he's probably going to come out and go to either, you know, be a top five pick either to Seattle or Houston or maybe New York. So keep your eye on Bryce Young. He's a stud. He's incredible. And, uh, man, I just I really am excited to watch this guy play college football. How about number three? It's another former Oklahoma quarterback. Spencer Rattler lost his starting job. At Oklahoma last fall to Caleb Williams. And uh, then both guys, Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler, transferred away from Oklahoma. Spencer Rattler is now uh, in the SEC at South Carolina. I can't wait to watch this guy. He's crazy talented. He has an unreal arm. There are some maturity concerns when it comes to Spencer Rattler. I worry, how is he going to handle adversity? How is he going to handle his teammates? How is he going to handle... All kinds of stuff. Look back at the history. Go watch the TV show QB1. Uh, I saw moments with Spencer Rattler that made me really cringe. So while there are maturity concerns, I can't wait to see this guy play in the SEC. I also think that losing his starting job, having to transfer, I think it might have been some adversity that potentially could be a 
moment that causes Spencer rather to have to mature and have to learn some lessons and have to grow as a person. So I'm open to seeing this guy change on and off the field and to see him play in the SEC against Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, Texas A&M, Florida, Tennessee, he's going to get challenged by really good defenses. And I think that's good for him as a quarterback. It's good for him as a human and Spencer Rattler has a lot to prove after losing his job last fall to Caleb Williams. Um, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder, I would imagine. And he's eager to show the world what he can do as a starting quarterback. And uh, I cannot wait to see what Spencer Rattler is going to do on his new team in South Carolina. Another transfer quarterback with something to prove is quarterback number four, Keaton Slovis at Pittsburgh. Going into last year, he was projected to be a top five pick in the NFL draft. I saw some people projecting him going to the Detroit Lions with the number three overall pick in last year's NFL draft. And this time last year, Keaton Slovis was the starting quarterback at USC. Then he got hurt. Uh, Jackson Dart came in. He did great. And Keaton kind of got replaced by Jackson Dart. Then during the offseason, Lincoln Riley came in. He brought with him Caleb Williams. And then he really did actually get replaced. And so Keaton Slovis transferred to Pittsburgh. Now, I, I really, really liked his decision to go to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a program that last year had Kenny Pickett, who won all kinds of awards. And Kenny Pickett was the first quarterback drafted in the NFL draft last year and the only quarterback drafted in the first round. Kenny Pickett might be the day one starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers this fall in the NFL. And so what that says is that Pittsburgh is a good program that can clearly develop an NFL quarterback and send quarterbacks that are successful to the NFL. I am really, really excited to see how Keaton Slovis does this year at Pittsburgh. He's in a great situation. I, I thought he did a great job putting himself in that situation by transferring there. And there's a lot of good players around him, man. They won the ACC title last year at Pittsburgh. They are bringing back a ton of starters, and I really believe in Keaton Slovis. I think it's time that he gets the respect he deserves around college football. I want to see him prove himself and become a first-round pick. When I watch Keaton Slovis, man, I see a guy who is maybe potentially the most accurate quarterback in college football and probably the best decision-maker in college football. He's really great with the football. He doesn't, like, the amount of times I see stuff that, I watched him play at 18 years old at USC, making unbelievable decisions, throwing the ball away, throwing the ball into the right spot over and over again, hitting your checkdowns, like doing stuff that you see quarterbacks at an NFL level struggle with decision-making-wise. He is so beyond his years as a decision-maker, and I just... Oh, man, I cannot wait to watch Keaton Slovis this fall play for Pittsburgh and hopefully become a first-round pick and make a name for himself once again, by the way, because I think at one point he was viewed as a first-round pick, and I want, him to see, I want to see him get back to that status once again. Now, my fifth quarterback is uh, Jackson Dart. And by the way, yes, this is a warning. He is a former USC quarterback, and there are going to be even more former USC quarterbacks on this list. Jackson Dart is at Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin is taking his sweet time to officially name a starting quarterback at Ole Miss. I believe it's going to be Jackson Dart when it's all said and done. 
He transferred in from USC. He is super talented. And frankly, I would be absolutely shocked if Jackson Dart was not the starter this year at Ole Miss. His talent uh, plus the offense that Lane Kiffin runs, and I just can only imagine what he could do. Jackson Dart's talent running Lane Kiffin's offensive system. I mean, frankly, I think that I think Jackson Dart's a better passer than last year's quarterback at Ole Miss, Matt Corral, who went to Carolina as a third-round pick. I mean, I Jackson Dart's only a sophomore quarterback, and he looked really good as a freshman. I just I see a future here where Jackson Dart is one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, and him running that system that Lane Kiffin has is going to be incredible. I just am waiting for confirmation that he, in fact, will be the starting quarterback week one at Ole Miss. Now, quarterback number six is another and the last former USC starting quarterback, uh, JT Daniels. JT Daniels is at West Virginia. Uh, He's paired up with Graham Harrell, the former USC offensive coordinator. Uh, JT Daniels lost his job a few years ago when he got hurt at USC. Uh, Then he went to Georgia. And in my opinion, JT Daniels was the best quarterback on the roster in Georgia. But once again, he got hurt. And without him, they were winning. They had Stetson Bennett at quarterback. And, you know, Kirby Smart, the Georgia head coach, is I think a bit uh, maybe conservative. And was like, look, we're winning. Things are going well. I'm not going to interrupt this. I'm going to leave Stetson Bennett as my starting quarterback. And so JT Daniels lost his job. He had to transfer away to get on the field. And uh, at West Virginia, JT Daniels is finally going to be, quote, you know, the man. He's really talented. They're going to throw the ball a ton at West Virginia. And I just, I believe in J.T. Daniels, man. He's a first-round talent. He's got incredible arm talent. He can throw the ball. It's it's funny to me. Like, he's better than Stetson Bennett. And it's weird to me that on a lot of other teams, Stetson Bennett doesn't win a national title. But because of the talent around him at Georgia, he really got elevated with incredible players everywhere. And I think, frankly, Georgia is missing out letting J.T. Daniels walk away from their program. Uh, so I just cannot wait for JT Daniels to prove himself and make a name for himself and hopefully show the world that he's a first-round pick in the NFL. QB number seven is C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. C.J. Stroud is up there with guys like Bryce Young and Caleb Williams where people expect a lot from C.J. Stroud. He was incredible last year as you know, a starter at Ohio State, his first year starting at Ohio State. He had 44 touchdown passes for uh, 4,435 yards, only six interceptions, and a Rose Bowl victory. Now, one piece of adversity that C.J. Stroud is going to deal with this year is that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, two of his top three receivers, left to go to the NFL. Now, he still has Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is an incredible receiver, and by the way, was the number one receiver at Ohio State last year, statistically. And, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba is a matchup nightmare that's going to still elevate and really help, you know, uh, C.J. Stroud. But I'm just excited to see how does C.J. Stroud handle not having Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, and how does he do in his second year as a starter at Ohio State? where you got expectations this year going in and people believe a lot that you're maybe one of the best quarterbacks in all of college football and potentially a, a future first round pick. Now, um, 
what's going to be interesting is, is he going to be ready for the NFL after this year? Because he could go to the NFL if he wants to after this fall. I hope he stays. I, I want to see him in college as long as possible to keep developing. But it's an interesting question is, could C.J. Stroud do so well that he ends up leaving Ohio State after this fall and going right to the NFL? Um, and that, that's truly a storyline, in my opinion. you got to monitor with C.J. Stroud. How well does he do and how quickly does he progress as a future NFL quarterback? Now, quarterback number eight is Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. This dude absolutely crushed it last year as a freshman. He made a ton of high-level NFL throws. Uh, I think there's a lot of talent and frankly, a lot of NFL talent within the body of work you see watching Tyler Van Dyke. He's got a new head coach, Mario Cristobal. He came over from Oregon. And Tyler Van Dyke is too young. He will not be eligible for the NFL draft after this year. He's got to have one more year in the system in college because you got to be at least uh, three years in college before he can go to the NFL. So because he's too young, this fall is all about Tyler Van Dyke making a name for himself. And building up that Miami program, uh, and I'm just, I'm pumped to watch Tyler Van Dyke this year. I want to see him uh, show the world how good he can be and really build out his resume so eventually he can become a future first-round pick in the NFL and hopefully a future franchise quarterback. Quarterback number nine is Bo Nix at Oregon. Bo Nix transferred in from Auburn, uh, and I believe he's hoping that playing at Oregon is going to allow him to showcase his talents and help him become a first-round pick because he has talent. When you watch Bo Nix, he can run, he can extend plays, he's got a big arm. I want to see better ball placement, maybe a little better accuracy, but um, honestly, I, I think Bo Nix is about to destroy the Pac-12. I don't think he got enough help around him at Auburn in recent years, and at Oregon, you're playing against teams like Washington, Washington State, Stanford, Arizona, Colorado, and you're going to have a better team every week against weaker opponents. You've been playing in the SEC for a couple of years, three years now. Uh, to go from the SEC to the Pac-12, where you've got overwhelmingly better talent than almost every team you're playing, it's going to be great for him. He's, he's going to showcase his talent. He's going to look really good. And and frankly, for the first time maybe in his college career, be a front runner and have a, a really good team around him in comparison to the people you're playing. And... Uh, that makes, that makes me really excited, man. I'm, I'm really rooting for Bo Nix, and I hope he's going to look really, really good and prove that he should be a first-round or second-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Now, quarterback number 10 is Utah quarterback Cam Rising. Cam Rising, another Pac-12 quarterback. He grabbed my attention during the Rose Bowl game last year. He played really well against Ohio State. He got my attention... I really liked how he handled a high-pressure situation. And so, look, he's on my radar. We'll see how he does. I think he's got some NFL potential, but uh, I want to see how he does. I, I just This year feels like an audition for Cam Rising. I see some potential there. How does he do, and can he hold my attention for much longer than a couple games? Because, like, we'll see week one. Utah's going to play Florida. If he falls apart and is a disaster, eh, scratch him off the list. But every week, I'm going to be keep a val- I'm going to keep... How do I put this? I'm going to continue to evaluate Cam Rising and see what kind of body of work he can put together this fall playing in the Pac-12. Number 11 is uh, whatever quarterback becomes a starting quarterback at Clemson. 
the rumor is that the week one starter is going to be DJ Ui Ungale. Uh, but they also have a freshman quarterback, Cade Klubnik, who is expected to play this fall, whatever that means. Either way, to me, the starting quarterback at Clemson, because they're a great program, it's going to be notable. And DJ Ui Ungale was like an incredible prospect in high school football. He played at St. John Bosco. I thought he was going to become the the next Trevor Lawrence, or the next great quarterback in college football. He was kind of a flop last year at Clemson, so either he's going to be a flop again and lose his job, or he's going to really turn things around and get better and play better and make a name for himself. So either way, it's interesting. What I really want to see most of all, though, is good quarterback play at Clemson, whether it's Cade Klubnik or DJ Uyungle. I want to see good quarterback play there because they are a perennial powerhouse when they get a good quarterback, and uh, that's frankly what they need right now at Clemson. Now, number 12 is quarterback uh, from Texas, Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers transferred in from Ohio State. Uh, He won the starting job. This dude is an absolute stud, and I think he could be really, really fun to watch. So there are a couple games for Quinn Ewers that uh, I find very notable. You know, number one is week two when Texas will host Alabama. How is he going to handle a high-level, high-powered SEC defense? Then you got games like October 1st, they play West Virginia. JT Daniels and another good offense. You got to go points for points against West Virginia. Then October 8th, you play Oklahoma and Dylan Gabriel, a good defense. Uh, The former Clemson uh, defensive coordinator, Brett Venables, the new head coach at uh, Oklahoma. So they're going to have a good defense that's well coached. And another good quarterback you're playing against that's going to put up big points. November 25th, you play against Baylor. Another good program. They're going to challenge you. So... I think one advantage that Texas has is that all of their big games are at home. But I really want to see Texas football return to greatness. And if that's going to happen, then Quinn Ewers is going to need to be great. Quarterback number 13 is Kentucky quarterback Will Levis. He's a stud. The dude can run. The guy can throw. And it's interesting because there's so many talented quarterbacks right now in college football, and it's it's a bit overwhelming how many guys I think have potential to eventually become NFL quarterbacks, but truly Will Levis does have first-round potential, and I, there's a couple big games to watch for him if you are curious to see about his development as a quarterback. First of all, week two, they play on the road at Florida. That's a big game against another SEC team and a good defense. Uh, October 8th against South Carolina, it's a big deal because he's playing against Spencer Rattler, and I'm really curious to see how does... Spencer Rattler compared to Will Levis. And how does Will Levis compare to Spencer Rattler? Kind of the eyeball test. Who's got a better arm? When you see him in back-to-back drives like that, it's really fun to compare quarterbacks. And then November 19, Kentucky's going to host Georgia. That's a massive opportunity for Will Levis as a senior to play a really, really good football team that won the national title last year. And I want to see Will Levis end his career at Kentucky on top of the world. I'm rooting for him. He's a stud and... If he has a really great year this year, he really could make a name for himself as a potential first-round pick in this year's, or I guess in next spring's upcoming NFL draft. Now, number 14, another quarterback in the state of Kentucky, this time at Louisville. It's Louisville quarterback Malik Cunningham. He's an electric runner, uh, and I, I hate to compare him to Lamar Jackson, but it's just... You see a lot of similarities in their game. It's I, I don't know if it's because he's in a Louisville jersey. I don't know if it's because he's got a similar style where he's a great runner. But 
Man, there's a couple of big games for Malik Cunningham. I'm excited to watch. He plays Pittsburgh. He plays at Clemson. And then the final game of the year is on the road at Kentucky against an SEC program. And that's going to be a massive, massive game to evaluate how good Malik Cunningham is as a quarterback against an SEC-level defense on the road at Kentucky. Man, I don't know. There are so many really exciting and interesting quarterbacks in college football. And I'm really, really interested to find out how the NFL views him after this fall. Come draft season next year, when it's time for the combine and you hear all the stories coming around, I'm really interested to see how the NFL is going to evaluate and view a guy like Malik Cunningham because certainly he's got some talents and does some stuff that a lot of other quarterbacks cannot do. And I just, I'm excited to watch him and evaluate him this year and kind of figure out how the NFL views him and evaluates him. Now, number 15 is LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels. He transferred over from Arizona State. He's trying to prove himself. I remember when Jaden Daniels started for Arizona State as a freshman. I remember thinking, this is a couple of years ago now. I remember thinking, this guy is a surefire future first-round pick in the NFL. Now, a couple of years later, I'm not even 100% sure he's going to be the starting quarterback week one at LSU. Now, I would be shocked if Jaden Daniels was not the starting quarterback at LSU, but it hasn't officially been announced yet. And I, I will find out. Jaden Daniels is trying to make a name for himself. He left Arizona State. He's in the SEC at a different program. And I just can't wait to see how it goes. Because if it goes well, he is talented. And him doing well at LSU with the good players around him could go a long way to help him make a name for himself as an NFL quarterback. Quarterback number 16 is Dylan Gabriel. Uh, He transferred from Central Florida over to Oklahoma, and man, I love this guy. He's a lefty from Mililani, Hawaii, and I'm pumped for him. They got a new coaching staff at Oklahoma, and now Dylan Gabriel is going to be playing for a bigger program with a brighter spotlight than ever before, and it's a great opportunity for him to prove himself as a quarterback, and uh, I don't know. You hear great things about Dylan Gabriel as a leader, and For Brent Venables, the new head coach at Oklahoma, I can't think of a better guy to bring in to bring stability to your franchise. You take over a new program or trying to do a lot of stuff with your new team. To have a a veteran, whatever that means in college football, a seasoned guy who's been around college football for a while, be your starting quarterback in your first year as a coach at Oklahoma. What an advantage for Brent Venables. And I'm so happy for him that he has Dylan Gabriel. And by the way, thinking of him, this Hawaii kid, Dylan Gabriel, it does make me think of another Hawaii guy. Jaden Delora, who's going to be starting this fall at Arizona. I'm rooting for him too. And uh, man, I just, a lot of Hawaii pride. I'm rooting for those guys out of Hawaii. Quarterback number 17, uh, JJ McCarthy at Michigan. He's in a quarterback battle against Cade McNamara. There's not a lot to say here other than that I think JJ McCarthy is way more talented. And I personally would rather watch JJ McCarthy this fall play way more than I want to watch. Cade McNamara. I just don't find no knock on Cade McNamara. He's fine. J.J. McCarthy is dynamic and exciting. And I I hope that J.J. McCarthy becomes a starting quarterback at Michigan because that's who I want to watch when I watch Michigan play on primetime in a couple games this fall. Now my final quarterback, quarterback number 18, Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR at UCLA. Guys, I've been saying it for years. He is... uh, (laughs) 
DTR has been the starting quarterback at UCLA since 2018. It's been years now, and I've been saying this every year. He is one of the most physically gifted quarterbacks in college football. His ability to run, to throw, extend plays. His arm is unbelievable. There's a video of him training with Odell Beckham Jr. a couple of years ago, and I'm like, dude, his, his arm is insane. And every year I say that maybe this is the year that Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to blow up and have an outstanding year. His coach is Chip Kelly. He's insanely talented uh, in a fun offense with a lot of talent. You would imagine he's going to blow up and destroy college football. And I've been waiting and waiting, waiting, and it hasn't happened. But uh, I'm not going to close the door on that yet. I'm curious to see how this year goes. Uh, Year five, starting with UCLA in Chip Kelly's offense. And I just, oh man, this could be the year, finally, that DTR becomes the breakout star in college football. I think he's got potential to be. All right. Um, I want to give a warning. We're going to talk about Formula One now the rest of the show. If you don't like Formula One, hey, I love you. I appreciate you. hope you have a great day. You can cut out now anytime you want. Let me drink some water. Then we'll talk about Sunday. All right. Um, let's talk about Sunday. Max Verstappen and Red Bull thoroughly dominated the Belgium Grand Prix. Uh, Max started the race in 14th place because of penalties. And by lap 12 of 44, he was in first place in the race. And by lap 44 of 44, at the very end of the race, he was 18 seconds ahead of Sergio Perez, who was in second in the race. Um, There's not much more to be said, honestly. Max Verstappen and Red Bull absolutely dominated in Belgium. I can't say that enough. Uh, Charles Leclerc started in P15 for Ferrari. He also had penalties. Uh, He had to take an early pit stop on lap four. That really set him back a lot. And uh, pace-wise, in the end, you know, Max Verstappen got first. He also got the fastest lap. Second was the other Red Bull driver, Sergio Perez. And third was the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz. And fourth uh, was George Russell. By the way, Carlos Sainz started on pole position, ended up third. Red Bull, that's how much more pace Red Bull had is that Ferrari started on pole position and got third place in the race. Uh, Fifth place was Fernando Alonso and sixth place was Charles Leclerc. Ferrari once again mismanaged Charles Leclerc. Uh, On lap 43 of 44, they pitted Leclerc to put on fresh tires. They wanted to put soft tires on so he could have a chance to go try and get fastest lap. The problem is in taking a pit stop, He lost track position. He found himself behind Fernando Alonso. So he had to retake fifth place uh, and pass Fernando Alonso. In doing so, he A, didn't get fastest lap, but B, he got in trouble for speeding in the pit lane. And that gave him a penalty and it ended up costing him fifth place in the race anyway. So by pitting him on lap 43 of 44, Ferrari actually not only didn't get fifth place, they also didn't get fastest lap. And so... It's it's hilariously bad management by Ferrari. I, I'm getting really tired of making fun of Ferrari, honestly, because their poor strategy isn't even entertaining anymore. It's just really sad. It's it's getting to the point where like, man, how much are these guys going to just blow chunks this year? It's also notable. First of all, let me just say one more time. Like, I I can't imagine Ferrari fans feel good at all right now. And the way they've blown so many opportunities this year at Ferrari. I cannot imagine that Matteo Bonotto is going to come back as team principal next year for Ferrari. 
Now, another notable thing happened early on in this race. Lewis Hamilton ran into Fernando Alonso. Lewis caught air. He damaged his car. Um, He ended up having to drop out of the race. And if you watch the replay, Lewis 1,000% turned into Fernando Alonso. It was absolutely Lewis Hamilton's fault. And, uh, you know, Fernando Alonso gave a great quote. He said, this guy only knows how to drive and start in first. Basically, there's a lot of bad blood between Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso. And I'm here for it. I love it. They were once teammates uh, in... in uh, McLaren, and they they go way back. They clearly don't like each other, and I I really love it. I think Fernando Alonso is endlessly good for the sport of Formula One. He's got one of the more strong personalities from the grid, and I, I want more drivers like Fernando Alonso, honestly, who are kind of bullheaded and say what they feel and don't really care, and I like that old-school style of Fernando Alonso, and the younger drivers, this younger generation of Formula 1 drivers don't have that same edge, that same um, willingness to call it like they see it and really say how they feel like Fernando Alonso. Everyone else has got PR, and they're tiptoeing and trying to be nice to each other, and Fernando Alonso just does not care, and I love that. Um, By the way, Fernando Alonso, again, he recovered nicely. He got P5 in the race, it's so funny to me that Ferrari wasted what they had with Charles Leclerc and went from P5 all the way down to P6. Um, this weekend, Red Bull simply dominated. They extended their lead on Ferrari in every way. It felt like Max and Red Bull, to me watching, I feel like this was the moment they really secured the world title. They still got a couple races to go before they actually, on paper, have secured their world title, but... Like I said, it's not over yet. It really isn't over yet in Formula 1. But it also does feel over. There's not much competition left. I can't imagine Ferrari really coming back and resurging and taking the lead. I mean, I remember 11 races in at the halfway point, I said, well, Ferrari's got to turn it up now and make a change. And now we're coming off a summer break, and Ferrari still hasn't made a change. They haven't made progress. They're way behind Red Bull. They're way behind Max Verstappen. Um... Red Bull leads the Constructors' Cup right now, the standings, by 118 points. Red Bull's in first with uh, 475 points. Ferrari's in second with 357 points. Mercedes is third with 316 points. Alpine's in fourth with 115 points. And McLaren's in fifth with 95 points. Again, that gap between Red Bull and Ferrari keeps growing greater and greater with every race. Uh, And the driver's standings, Max Verstappen is in first with 284 points. In second is Sergio Perez with 191 points. Charles Leclerc is now all the way down in third place with 186 points. Fourth is Carlos Sainz, the other Ferrari driver, with 171 points. And fifth is George Russell with 170 points. Um, Like I said at this point, it looks like Max and Red Bull are going to clinch their world titles well before the final race in Abu Dhabi in November and I just, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how things go. But I, am I the only person who really feels like no one else has a shot right now at beating Max or Red Bull? I just, it feels inevitable now. And in four or five races from now, we're saying, yep, they clinched it. It's over. Uh, Red Bull and Max won. I, it's just, it's disappointing because Ferrari, I thought, had a legitimate opportunity to challenge Red Bull this year. And Ferrari just squandered so many opportunities and, and now it's it appears to be totally out of their grasp to make any kind of recovery and uh 
actually challenge Red Bull and Max Verstappen. By the way, uh, the McLaren-Alpine rivalry continues. Alpine leads McLaren by 20 points. Uh, They are solidly in fourth place right now. They are also currently fighting over the contract rights for Oscar Piastri, um, who is a talented young driver. I'm going to look this up. Oscar Piastri, as I record right now, we are waiting for... um, you know, this to be solved because they are fighting over um, whether he's going to drive for McLaren or have to drive for Alpine next year. Basically, at the time of recording, I just looked it up. It is still not resolved, uh, but a resolution will be announced probably within hours and maybe even minutes of this posting uh, on podcast platforms and on YouTube. So uh, keep your eye. If you're listening right now, you should probably go look up what's going to happen with Oscar Piastri, McLaren, and Alpine. I bet by now a announcement has been made by the time you're hearing this. And uh, I, I like it. I think right now in Formula 1, Red Bull's dominating. Ferrari's second, but they're a, an embarrassing second. It keeps getting their own way. Mercedes is going to be back. They're the third best team right now. And I think at some point they're going to resurge. It's nice to have another outside of the top three in Formula 1. It's nice to have... A battle like McLaren and Alpine where there's drama, they don't like each other, they're they're clearly really close to each other competition-wise, and uh, I think having another storyline in Formula 1, two teams battling for basically the best of the rest in F1, that's really good, and I really like to see it. So uh, keep your eye on this McLaren-Alpine rivalry as it develops, and whatever happens with Oscar Piastri, their young uh, developmental driver who... The two teams are fighting over and both want to have him drive for them uh, this next year in Formula One. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'm very tired. I uh, It is 4.54 a.m. I got to work. Uh, I, I work at 11.30 later today. So I'm going to go post this, try to get some sleep, and uh, I'll talk to you. I'm, I'm recording next on Monday evening after watching Clemson and Georgia Tech. Uh, I also got to finish writing the next 16 segments for uh, quarterback NFL quarterback storylines. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And uh, bam, we are done.